we are in week number three of our Jesus Is series of sermons, and we want to thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts for spending some time this morning engaging with us in worship and in study here at Lincoln Hills. If you've missed one of our messages from this series, you can check them out on our website, lincolnhillschristian.com forward slash listen, and you can catch up on all the things that we've talked about. So every society uh, in every era has had individuals or groups who have been relegated to the fringes, and first century Jerusalem was no exception. Jewish culture edged certain groups into the outskirts of social acceptance, and the religious system of the time often helped to keep them there. However, when Jesus showed up, the whole system was turned on its head. Remember what we said back in week number one. Jesus' coming presents a moment of crisis that changes everything. Jesus changed things for the marginalized with statements like, the last will be first and the first will be last. Today, as we continue our Jesus is uh, series of sermons, we're going to dive into the book of Luke chapter 7 and see how Jesus reset the boundaries, restoring dignity and value to those who were on the margins, the outcasts, the outsiders, and those who just felt like they were out of luck. My hope is that as we dive into God's word today, you will begin to have eyes and a heart that looks like Jesus's, that you will see others the way that he does and extend to them the hope, the grace, and the love that he did. And if you feel like an outcast or an outsider or you're just down uh, and out of your luck, we want you to know that the real Jesus is for you. If you have uh, a Bible, go ahead and turn in it to uh, Luke chapter 7. Again, that's where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Luke 7 begins with Jesus entering uh, a city named Capernaum, and some men asked him to go uh, to the home of a centurion uh, where one of this centurion's servants lay extremely sick. Now, keep in mind, the Romans uh, were the bad guys, and the centurion was a soldier and a representative of the Roman army. Now, Jesus went with the men, but on the way... Friends of the centurion came to tell Jesus that he didn't need to go all the way to the centurion's house. That the centurion believed Jesus had the power to heal his servant from afar by just uttering the words. About this kind of faith, Jesus says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Luke tells us that Jesus was amazed by the centurion's faith and that the men who met Jesus there on the road returned home to find the servant completely restored and well. You see, the real Jesus is for everyone, and that includes those like the Roman centurion that we'd never expect him to be for. Last year in in 2019, Kanye West had a very Uh, high-profile, very public conversion to Jesus. Last fall, he was asked by a late-night talk show host uh, if he was now considering himself a Christian artist, and Wes responded by saying, I'm a Christian everything. He went on to say, the devil presents so many flashy, shiny objects. I've seen everything that the devil 
could have showed you via TV, videos, car dealerships, jewelry, houses, and I tell you, nothing beats God and a sound mind. West, who once regularly sang about sex as well as his pursuit of fame and money and drugs, has begun holding weekly Sunday services and performing gospel music. According to People Magazine, West now insists that his musicians and collaborators abstain from sex outside of marriage while they tour with him. Now just think about this. If we were to flash back five years, very few Christians would have believed that Kanye West would be saying and doing the things that he's saying and doing right now. But the fact of the matter is this, the real Jesus is for those we'd never expect him to be for. In the next section, Jesus and his disciples happen upon a funeral procession. The dead man was the only son of a widowed mother, meaning not only was she heartbroken, but she was also now likely hopeless and destitute as well. And Luke tells us in verse 13, he says, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, Don't cry. In her book, First We Quit Our Jobs, Marilyn Abraham describes an interesting fact she learned about trees while on a hike with a park ranger. She says this, quote, When a tree's life is threatened, stressed by the elements of fire, drought, or other calamity, it twists beneath its bark to reinforce and make itself stronger. On the surface, this inner strength may not be visible, for the bark often continues to give the same vertical appearance. Only when the exterior is stripped away or when the tree is felled are its inner struggles revealed. Believe it or not, Jesus can use our grief to strengthen us in ways that are not visible to the naked eye. You see, the real Jesus is for everyone, especially the heartbroken. In verse 14, we see something amazing. It says, Then he went up and touched the buyer." They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I love the way that Luke put it right there. He said, Jesus gave him back to his mom. There are a lot of people watching this message this morning, and they're dealing with a lot of heavy, heartbreaking circumstances. And if I could offer you one point of encouragement, it would be this. The real Jesus is for everyone, especially the brokenhearted. It is in and through him that our deepest worries and pains are put right fact is, Jesus could have strolled on down the street, passed this woman by, and ignored her grief, but he didn't. He entered into it with her. He made himself available to her, and he'll make himself available to us as well. As Jesus was going around performing all these miracles and miraculous acts, all these mighty works, John the Baptist heard about the things that Jesus was doing, and he sent two of his followers to Jesus with a question. 
And the question was simple, but it was also loaded with significance. On John's behalf, they asked this. They said, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? But if John had heard what Jesus was doing and had even been the one to proclaim earlier about Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, why would he ask a question like this? What could have caused such a deep doubt, such deep fissures in his faith to creep into John's mind? The reason he asked this question was the same reason that John sent people to ask it for him instead of going himself. You see, John was sitting in prison on death row. You can understand that our circumstances and the circumstances of those around us can sometimes blind us to the mission that we've been called to. John's circumstances caused him to doubt that Jesus was who he had believed him to be. Think about this. John and Jesus shared a special connection since before they were even born. And now John is saying, should we expect someone else? You may feel like a prisoner too. Maybe you're not in a prison cell, but you feel shackled to a situation or a circumstance. Maybe you're shut up in your home today because of the coronavirus and you're questioning if Jesus is still in control, control of things or maybe if Jesus was ever in control of things. And if you have come to this place and you feel like you're in a prison, know that Jesus didn't get angry with John. He doesn't shout um, or, or question John's love. He simply responds by saying, report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. Notice what Jesus didn't say, though. He didn't mention anything about setting any captives free. He didn't hint at a quick release from jail or smooth sailing from here on out. You know why I think that is? You know why I don't think Jesus hints at or alludes to any of these things? I think it's because the real Jesus wants us to trust him in spite of our circumstances. He didn't lash out at John because of his doubts, and he doesn't lash out at us but he does want us to trust him. He wants us to lean into him while we go through hard or difficult seasons. You see, there's evidence of Jesus' greatness all around us, and we can't let our very legitimate worries distract us from what's, what we're supposed to be doing uh, in the world around us. Jesus is on a mission, and so are we. We can't allow our circumstances to distract us from what we're here to do, and that is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. From there, we get the most tender picture of the real Jesus in all of Luke chapter 7. A prominent Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner, and while the two are dining, a woman comes rushing in with a jar of perfume. She knelt at Jesus' feet and began to weep bitterly. 
As her tears fell on Jesus' feet, she added expensive perfume to the mixture and began to wipe his feet with her hair. The religious man sees this, and the fact is he sees something much different than Jesus does. The religious man sees a sinful woman acting like a legitimate crazy person. He even says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But that is not what Jesus saw. He saw a human being stripped of all self-assurance and pride. He saw a broken, world-weary woman clinging to the one thing that could offer her hope for a better life, the real Jesus. Understanding this, Jesus turned to his host, and he asked if he could help him understand a story. So Jesus goes on, he says this. It's, it's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen to what Jesus says. He says this in verse 41. He says, it's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000, and the other owed only $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker the most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. He said, don't you, don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss of greeting, but from the moment I came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and my feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven all of her many sins. This is why she's shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. This woman couldn't have been any less like Jesus. She was the worst kind of outcast, by all estimates, a prostitute. But you see, the real Jesus is for everyone, including those we'd never predict and those who are brokenhearted. The real Jesus wants us to trust him in spite of the crazy circumstances that we might find ourselves in. Above all, the real Jesus wants us to know that we can always come to him. That the voices of man-made religion won't keep the real Jesus from wrapping us up in his arms. Michael Jordan is one of the most recognizable and beloved sports figures of all time. He's embodied success on levels few of us will ever, ever know. 
He's arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. He has fame, acclaim, celebrity, and wealth. In spite of all this, Michael Jordan yearned for emotional support that he couldn't find from his coaches, teammates, trophies, or his awards. It was his father's approval and support that he longed for. Chicago Tribune sports writer Bob Green recounts an interview with Jordan prior to his father's passing. According to Green, Jordan would scan the stands before each game in search of his dad's reassuring face. When he's there, Jordan said, I know I have at least one fan. Make no mistake, the real Jesus is for everyone, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you've been. Even if you're an outcast or an outsider or just flat out of luck, the real Jesus is for you. And because of him, you'll always have at least one fan in your corner. As a church, we want to help people fall in love with the real Jesus so that we can make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We are so blessed and so glad that you joined us today. If we can pray for you, please let us know. If you'd like to commit your life to Jesus and be baptized, please reach out to us via our website at info at lincolnhillschristian.com or through a private message here on Facebook so that we can help you take your next steps in your walk with Jesus. Again, thank you so much for watching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for having our backs. Thank you for sending Jesus into our lives. Father, we just ask that we have the kind of eyes and heart that he has. Help us to see others the way that he did. Help us to be an extension of your love, your grace, and your uh, generosity to the world around us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.